The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two awesome co-hosts plus an exciting guest. Lauren Ash. Your brother, Shane. Not my brother. <laughs> no, uh, Reagan's my brother. brother. My brother. And joining us uh, this week, we have an exciting guest. And I could... I was trying to figure out a way to do this that didn't sound like a pun, but our guest this week is... Uh, notable IF Comp author and winner of the IF Comp 2018, uh, JJ Guest. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I'm, I'm such a fan of uh, of your work, but especially 2018's Alias the Magpie, which was such a such a wonderful game. So um, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about the comp this year. And uh, and we're going to talk about a handful of games this week continuing our coverage from uh, previous weeks so uh, this is a it's a kind of an interesting comp uh, this time around I wonder if before we start diving into specifics if anybody wants to sort of talk about their experience with the comp this year generally or anything like that I think this year uh, one of the noticeable things is that uh, although there's a great a load of great games uh, there's not well, for me there's not one clear winner that's that really sh- sh- uh, shining out and I, so it could it kind of could kind of go in any number of different directions yeah it'll be really interesting to see where the voting goes I think it's going to depend a lot on people's individual tastes I think it's going to go to the electoral college. Yes, definitely. Well, it's been a really odd time because uh, we generally at this point, like when everything's been out for a few weeks, we start looking around for games we've missed. And um, I usually take on this kind of like hunting and gathering phase where I go through and I say, people are really reviewing these four games highly. Uh, But a lot of more games are getting really good reviews, not tens, but like eights. And a lot of games are getting... um, like a bunch of eights and then a one. So it seems like there's been a lot of disagreement this year. Uh, I think that golden banana of discord will be competitive. Um, but it's not as if we're seeing, um, one or two games where everyone universally says, yes, this is a new canon member. Um, I think it actually makes it a lot more interesting and more valuable for us to all play different games because, Um, in the past, it's been like, oh, if I don't play this game, everyone says is great. I've missed the comp, mm-hmm. like the identifiable entry of the comp this year. And this year, I don't think anyone's going to say 2020 was the year this game got released. I think there's going to be every single person who you talk to is going to pick a different game for that. That's mm. true. I, I think it's also like mm. it's not that there's not a bunch of really high quality games here. It's more just that like I have really enjoyed a, at least five or six pretty pretty big games that felt like really nice packages. And uh, uh, you know, n- while none of them has necessarily been like, oh, this is the game. I mean, I've got a couple of I've got a couple of private thoughts about which games I think are particularly particularly strong this year but i don't want to share them yet on the podcast so like uh yeah take that for the grain and salt but uh it's it's definitely been a really interesting year and i have a couple of games to talk about today that i think are really strong contenders or or really really interesting ones Mm -hmm. i think it would be really uh i mean one of my my things i'd really like to know about is um it may not be the very first time this has happened, but it feels like uh, uh, an event in and of itself. And, and I think uh, I want to talk about the Magpie Takes the Train uh, with with JJ, because I think this is a really interesting event in, in the comp. Uh, ha- have, have we seen uh, sequels like this brought into IF Comp before? Did, I think we might have seen something with the... The dragon will yes. see you now, or, or something like like that, right? Yeah, uh, Math Brush has done uh, did one for uh, the the game was uh, the owl consults. He mm-hmm. he wrote a, he wrote a se- he offers as a prize one of the IF Comp prizes uh, to write a game in the same world as the game that you've written. So, and I chose that uh, when I won. And uh, the owl consults, which I think was by Thomas Mack and and one other person, uh, he wrote a, a sequel to that called um, The Origin of Madam Time. So uh, it's written in the same universe, but but uh, but uh, possibly a sequel or a prequel. 
Um, so I think there's been a few of those, and I think uh, I don't know that I, I can't think of another one actually at the moment. But um, mm-hmm. the dragon we'll see you now, I think, is was was another might be another one. I don't know whether that was written as a prize, but yeah, maybe if uh, I wasn't sure if it was a official sequel or a parody. Clear <laughs> with the dragon. One of the neat things about following the competition from year to year is you do start to see uh, this sort of little culture develop and people really putting a lot of effort into, um, you know, pleasing not just, you know, the the general audience of interactive fiction, but the very specific audience of uh, IF comp fans such as ourselves, which I really enjoy that. Um, I, I'm particularly curious to to hear um, what your thoughts are on uh, on the Magpie's return here in this in this sequel. What do you think about it? Oh, I love it. I think it's great. Um, we sort of, uh, Mash Brush and I discussed kind of ideas beforehand, and I, I actually had sort of an idea for a sequel set in a train. And uh, he kind of took that and, and ran with it and pretty much just, we, he, you know, we, we, he consulted me a couple of times, I think uh, sent me versions and said, is, is this got the right feel to it? And uh, I sent him feedback. And uh, yeah, the end result is terrific. I think it's, just, it's a great game. Uh, uh, really fun. Um uh, and also introduces some great characters into the universe, which I may well u- reuse in a, in another sequel. Or I would love to see more sequels to The Magpie. Yes. I, I really liked that game quite a lot. And it, it the world really seemed to sort of lend itself to IF. It was a very, very nice, uh, nice combination of, of characters and theme and all of that. I, I, I quite liked that one. So glad to hear that that's, uh, that may continue. Um, do we want to jump into talking about uh, the games that we played for this week to uh, to to discuss? I think I Shane and Jason, you both played Mother Tongue, right? Yes. Yes. Very lovely game. Um, I think it's a bit of a, like an epistolary kind of game. Like we've started to see a lot of these kind of games that are played out in the form of like text messages or a phone. And to me, this is kind of like Duolingo meets like a call from mom. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a really lovely game where uh, you're, you know, it's, it's created by Nell Rabin or perhaps, perhaps Raban. I, I, I'm not uh, quite sure, Um, but they're a, like a a theater artist and have made uh, like RPGs and, uh, also uh, a Filipina. So uh, this is a really interesting little cultural, a little window into, into Filipino culture. So that's uh, the, the mother here regrets not teaching you the player Tagalog and is now going to give you an, some instruction in it over text message. And, and it's <laughs> a, it's a really lovely little, little game that, that kind of serves both as a very, very light introduction to kind of some, Tagalog language basics and to like a little cultural window into, into and, and into a window into family life as well. I, I think it was really nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved it. It was, uh, it's like a, a sweet little um, window into this world. And you, obviously there's a, the, the mother has, has been thinking about this for a long time and wanted to teach their child Tagalog. And this is the moment in which they, the subject was broached and they, they, they start to have a dialogue about it. And it was really lovely to be, to be in that. Actually, actually brought a little tear to my eye playing it. I, I haven't played mother tongue, but I did play kanji. And it's, it's really interesting to me that there's like these two little games that are extremely culturally specific and warm and really inviting. It, it's, I hadn't really seen um, these specific like Asian experiences told in IF before. And I think it's really notable that this year there's two really good games that are short mm. and sweet like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I, this is also one of those, I mean, I say this a lot when we talk about games in the comp, but like, I always feel like these are the kinds of things that you can see in interactive fiction that don't make their way into other types of games. Um, you know, it's, it's really something to, to get these sort of like personal, like family level, uh, experiences with, you know, unique voices and all of that. I I think that's just so cool. I haven't played this one. I really, really want to, it's on my short list. So, um, thank you for, for, uh, for, uh, telling me about it. It's nice to have a break from the like 37 murder games every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do love a good murder mystery, but, uh, but it's really nice to have these sort of like family stories and things like that. 
So is it all through text message? Is it kind of like a mm-hmm. twine thing? Is it like they pop up in real time? How do, what does it feel like actually reading it? So they, they pop up in real time and they have, uh, there's also a little pause as you see the, the, the mother typing, which is, mm. uh, this is kind of cool. No, there's a, there's a bit of a, a uh, a taboo in in uh, choice based games at the moment against timed text where it takes it writes on slowly um that's become a bit of a no no but in in this case because it's because mm-hmm. you're actually sort of waiting for your mother to respond it fits into the into the the, the world and it makes sense so without it i don't think it would have worked quite as well I will say for the mother in this that she's a tremendously fast typist. <laughs> yes. For a yes. mom. Uh, moms, <laughs> notoriously great texters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. This this Filipina mom is uh, an absolute whiz with her iPhone keyboard. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. I was going to ask you, though, about that that taboo about uh, that you mentioned about uh, about timed text. Is that just sort of you – know, is it just sort of passe to have the sort of text type onto the screen like JRPG style? Or what is, what is the thinking behind that? Yeah, it's it's definitely become passé in the last couple of years. I think there's been a lot of twi- t- uh, twine games and things on coming into IFComp, and uh, and you know people people want to want to play want to play them, but but having time text and having the slow text on the screen has become a, a real nuisance, especially if you have a lot of games to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and its, it's effectiveness as a you know as a device has waned as well because it's been so overused. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And even even in sort of more mainstream games where that's actually not terribly uncommon, they, you started seeing a lot of games add uh, like sliders for text speed and things like that. And I feel like if you can't if you can't give that level of customization, you know, so that fast readers, for example, can feel comfortable and not feel like they're lagging behind your game, then uh, then it makes sense to kind of do away with it altogether. But I'm definitely glad to hear that it's got the like waiting for a text message, you know, so and so is typing kind of thing. Yes. That definitely feels yes. like a verisimilitude thing for for a texting based it, game. It really does work in this game, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it would be really sad if it was like a tap to see the next message. I think it like the we talk a lot about how different authors are controlling pacing of games, whether it's you have to tap to continue or if it's timed or if it's just, you know, uh you hit the link and then you get one word and you hit the link and you get another word. Um, and I think it's, you know, the, I have a bit of a soft spot for lost phone games. And I think those are kind of the souped up versions of an interactive fiction game. So yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. That's really cool. Well, th- that game I think is very, um, realistic and based in the author's actual experience and a very real world situation. Um, and Reagan, I think you have a game that also is similarly based in reality and it is called vampire incorporated. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you for that. Excellent transition, Shane. Yeah. I'm, I played vampire incorporated uh, more or less on a whim. Um, I think mostly because I liked the description uh, it's uh, or sorry, excuse me. Va- I, I put vampire incorporated in the, in the notes here, but it's actually vampire limited or LTD. Ah. So excuse me, I mixed mm. up the title there. Well, uh, I think it's very important to note the distinction there because if you are a limited liability corporation, uh, then your vampiric victims may not be able to sue you directly. That's a good point. Thank you. Very, very important for the world of the game. And it's actually got a really funny world. I mean, I like vampire stuff. And so, you know, this already had uh, had like a thumbs up from me there. But the, the subtitle below here was A Corporate Espionage Adventure parentheses with vampires in it. And so, you know, I was excited about this uh, to, to play it. And I really, really enjoyed the humor of this game. It's got some really funny writing and uh, and, an, and a bit of an interesting world as far as so it's a parser based uh, game. It's uh, it's not the most complicated in terms of puzzles or anything like that, but it does a good job of giving you puzzles that are sort of part of its narrative that are, you know, all sort of build on the humor of the game. It's really humor focused. Um, so you're playing as Nero Brashov, who is a, a failed businessman vampire. Uh, and you are going to try to get revenge on your former uh, business partner, uh, whose name is Hadrian. I've forgotten his last name. Um, but Hadrian is a sort of an Elon Musk figure in the vampire and also apparently human community. It's a little unclear, uh, like what the world of the game and the relationship of vampires to the world is. You get some interesting tidbits and details later in the, in the story. But, um, uh, Hadrian is, the game begins with Hadrian giving this sort of like, 
pitch to investors about this sort of, uh, you know, free energy uh, machine, something that's going to be like a, like a, 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 you know, sort of like a cold fusion type of thing, something that turns helium into unlimited energy or something along those lines. Um, and you are a very bitter vampire and uh, you want to destroy his company and you're going to do that via corporate espionage. But being a vampire, you have a lot of unique challenges in order to uh, try to take down this Elon Musk-esque vampire figure. Um, so most notably, uh, you can't go on to his – you have all these limitations as a vampire, all the traditional vampire limitations. Uh, and so you, uh, you, for example, need to be invited onto the corporate campus before you'd be able to go there because otherwise you, you, you can't. You're a vampire. Um, and all of the standard vampire uh, limitations apply. So – I think the, to kind of get across the humor that this is going for, it's easiest to talk about the beginning of the game. You have a uh, a job interview, uh, and it's one of the funniest bits of the game. But it, it's funny throughout, but very very funny up front. The uh, in order to get onto the corporate campus and begin sabotaging this project, uh, you need to obviously be invited on, and the easiest way to do that is with a job interview. So you uh, you call up their HR department and you get a job interview where they invite you onto the campus, but you can only go where you've been invited, and so you can only go onto the campus to their HR building where you can get your interview. Um, and then it, the rest of the game is largely about kind of trying to figure out ways around your vampire limitations uh, in order to get into the places you need to go in order to uh, to sabotage things. That does sound hilarious. I mean, uh, it, it, it's just, just, I don't know whether you've seen the, the TV show and the film, What We Do in the Shadows. But yes. Have, it, it sounds as though it's going for that kind, of, that kind of humor. It's definitely that meets like, uh, like corporate businessman crap. Like if there mm-hmm. were, if there were a businessman vampire in that, uh, it would, it would be very appropriate to this. Are there like synergy jokes? Like what are <laughs> um, there like, is it's, there it's to, like, yeah, it's easiest if I just give you some examples. I've taken, taken some screenshots here and um, forgive me. I have to scan through these a little bit. Uh, so at the beginning you get a, uh, you get a, a typical interview question about like, what do you want to, uh, why do you want to work here? And, uh, and you, it, the dialogue in this game is delivered in a very sort of uh, adventure gamey style where you choose from a menu. So, and this is a type of humor in IF that always works for me is like dialogue option humor. <laughs> um, so uh, your, your choices uh, when they ask you, why do you want to work at Lunar Cell? Your options are corporate espionage, revenge. I've lost control of my life. And it has always been my dream to serve the customer. And um, the the image of this ancient vampire just... It has always been my dream to serve the customer. Yes. To serve the customer. <laughs> yeah, basically that, that, just that image of them saying... And of course, you can choose all of these options. All of them except it's always been my dream to, to serve the customer. Actually provide you with background story of why you, why you are here. So if you choose, for example, that you want to get revenge, you get a little flashback sequence of why this vampire wants revenge and they're all very funny and full of great moments i'm just thinking what i would do if i was in an interview with someone and i said why do you want to work here and they said revenge i think i would probably like love the, like fall in love with them a little bit <laughs> like just the boldness of that yeah that'd be that'd be quite a quite a interview uh moment fi- the final question in the interview which is a great scene i keep going back to it but the, the final question in the interview was uh just one more question and there are no right or wrong answers here why what would you say is your biggest weakness and of course your options are vulnerability to sunlight wooden stake through the heart or stomach inability to cross thresholds uninvited sensitivity to holy symbols running water and i guess i'm just a perfectionist (laughs) 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 and you know what i also loved about that of course is then you know of course i chose every one of those sort of wrong answers right and each of those again delivered some backstory on why the or how the vampire feels about this limitation a big focus of this game is that the vampire feels very frustrated by his limitations um 
And some of them, you get the very standard answer, like, you know, vulnerability to sunlight. Ah, it burns my skin. I hate it. I have to wear a lot of sunblock. I carry a parasol. It's, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Um, and, uh, then others just seem to like completely drive him out of his, his mind, like the running water limitation. Um, you know, he's like, I, you know, he can rationalize some of the other ones. Like he, he rationalizes the thing about crossing thresholds as being, uh, being a guilt based thing, you know, oh, you know, when I go in someplace, I don't, don't feel welcome. Uh, I start feeling guilty about it for some reason. Although, you know, I, I don't know why I feel guilty about that when I don't feel guilty about killing all of those people. But then again, after, if I start thinking about that, then I start feeling guilty about that. So crossing, th- crossing thresholds, he rationalizes it as a, as a guilt thing. But then the running water thing just drives him nuts because there's no explanation for it at all. And, <laughs> um, and he's, uh, yes. the, those That's things, hilarious. it does a really great job of setting those up. And then it plays with all of those things at one point or another throughout the story. So for example, one of the puzzles is you have to cross a, there's a leaky pipe and there's water rushing across a sidewalk and you can't, you can't step across it because you can't cross running water. So you have to figure out how to, how to get that leak fixed before you can get across it. So anyway, overall, it's not a super complicated game in terms of puzzles. The puzzles are all pretty simple. Um, the game is listed at one hour as on the on the page, and I think I actually completed in, in significantly less. Um, and I don't think I missed anything huge either. It's a pretty short game for a parser game. Uh, and I am a notorious puzzle dunce. I never got stuck once. I didn't have to consult the help. Um, I found it really simple. It's a bit of a breeze, honestly. Um, but in some ways, I felt really good about that because it was mostly about comedy and so that kept up the comedic timing of it all. Um, being frustrated in this game wouldn't really quite have felt right. It has a couple of endings that you get to choose from, uh, neither of which is like a you know mind-blowing change. You just get to decide sort of how, how the story progresses a little bit at the end. And uh, overall, I just thought this was a really, really nice game. I don't think it's going to light the world on fire in terms of its like narrative design structure or anything like that. But it's it's got a good joke and it carries that joke through in a number of creative ways throughout the entire length of the game. So thumbs up for that. Great. Oh, I didn't mention the, t- the, uh, the author's name. Excuse me. This was written by Alex Harby. So thank you, Alex Harby. I had a great time with your game. So Laura, I think you have the next game on our list. JJ Schilling's age of chaos or, or Jason- uh, just Jay. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> excuse me. We've got a JJ on the show and I've got it in the brain. Jay Schilling's edge of chaos. Yeah, so it was written by Rob Sherwin and programmed by Mike Sousa. Um, this one was an interesting one because I just had it kind of earmarked because someone at some point said, like, put this on your radar. This is interesting authors. I don't actually remember how it came to us. It probably was a recommendation from a listener. Um, it's a parser, and it is a noir, but it's an interesting take on it because it is got this slacker protagonist who kind of sucks at being a noir protagonist. Like he's weak. He's pretty fragile. He, sometimes he stutters. He's not as clever as he thinks he is. Um, he really wants to seem cool and isn't. Um, he's also pretty young. He's in his 20s. So it it's the kind of noir where like instead of meeting in a bar, he meets at a really like gross petting zoo. And he orders like a pib, like a Mr. Pib from the bar. And he's like, I'll treat myself with a pib extra. Um, And he has to use the public library to use the computer to do investigations because he presumably is too broke to have a laptop. Um, So it seems like this is one of the games that's pretty divisive. Um, People either clicked with the protagonist or was like, who is this hipster? (laughs) And I do not like being with this guy. Um, but uh, if you like parentheticals, this has definitely got that noir parenthetical feel. So, for example, uh, he's talking about how he wants to get paid. And he says, uh, Bitcoin is fine. The client winced every, ever so imperceptibly. In my experience, when asking for payment in Bitcoin, a reaction such as that one is usually because my customers expect me to launch into a nerd rage explanation of why I chose an alternate method of settling bills. I used to do that, so I'm not mad or anything. <laughs> okay. So it's it, that's the kind of like something mm. happens, and then there's a comment on it, and it might be a Bitcoin joke, or it might be a parenthetical about like the animal and the iguana and how pretty it is, or it might be a joke about like um, how Facebook makes you, if you get locked out of your account, click on 
people you know and identify them by name and how hard that is when you have too many acquaintances. Like that's the kind of joke in this. It's, hmm. I would say it's modern, but like uh, a very millennial modern hmm. in that sense. I had a question for you like, about it because I, looking at the description on the page, like I, mm-hmm. I kind of earmarked this as one that I want to play, although I haven't gotten to it yet. But one of the things that stood out at me was the last line of the description uh, is like, you're a player of the 2020 interactive fiction competition. I'm Jay. Let's straddle the edge. And so it seems like it's it's directly addressing the player. Is What's the context for that? Is it is that part of the game or is that just something they're doing in the description here? So there are efforts to make kind of direct allusions to now. For example, there's a part where they say like, this is normally where we would have a handshake, but because we live now, we all just pretend a handshake happened and walked off. (laughs) Yeah. So they, it's not necessarily like super meta, but there are lots of connections to like, Things that are very, you know, they do mention Facebook. They do mention like the fact you can't shake hands. Um, It's not like this is a pandemic game, but they make some references to that. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about this game, though, is um, I have made it a habit in IF Comp when I'm going in blind to like when I'm evaluating games, I open the walkthrough real quick and just scan it for length. So I know how long the puzzles are, how in-depth it is, how good the walkthrough is if I need it. Um, This is a pretty short walkthrough, Um, but it was listed two hours. So when I went into it, like the first couple games are actually super, first couple puzzles are super straightforward, Um, but it has a sense that the game is huge. But if you are just kind of proceeding, I think there's lots of dead ends that you could go down, but if you are just kind of proceeding with your investigation, it feels like it's on rails. But it sounds like a lot of people have had... um, you know, this sense that the, they have no idea how big the game is going to get. And it fe- starts feeling unruly um, at a point. Um, it, it's it's an odd feeling because a lot of games have like a fictional feeling of it being too loud, but you feel like you're, you know, in a safe spot. This one doesn't have that safety feel, <laughs> although mm. it is actually really straightforward. Um, but I think that's made it a little bit of an, an odd duck this year. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to, uh, they do have one really good puzzle element of the pet machine, which is like an animal babble fish huh. where <laughs> you can use it to talk to pets. And that is a really great puzzle, um, in the middle of this, but it, it seems like uh, by the, you know, I enjoyed this game, but I could definitely see how, like, if you don't like the dialogue early on, just it, it doesn't change. So like if you like this character, you'll like the game. But if something in the first 15 minutes has turned you off, like it's not like it radically changes in two hours. I think, Jason, you played some of this, right? I did. I just saw, saw playing it. Yeah, uh, I didn't get very far. It was I, when, I, when I learned you were doing it for the for the podcast. I, I started started out on it. But but yeah, like, like you, I got the impression that it was a, a bigger game than it actually was. So I kind of felt like, oh, I don't think I can do this justice in the time available. But in actual fact, I, was, I found it quite um, kind of strange game tonally. Uh, the, this is the beginning I played. I wasn't sure at the beginning whether perhaps it was... Um, uh, because it started out in the petting zoo and there was a bar mm-hmm. and yeah. there was an eye an but the bar is only sharing soda and so yes. you're like is it in a fictional I, reality exactly <laughs> I, I thought I, th- I wondered whether maybe we were kind of like in a world like uh, like do you know the novel Gun with Occasional Music which yes. is kind of like oh a, my gosh like, yeah. like noir with, with animals in it Mm-hmm. And I wondered if we were in some something like that kind of world. I thought the Alcock was the bartender, and I tried to yes. talk to it, and it was like <laughs> me, you can't too, talk to too. it. Yes, because the opening says there's this Alcock behind the bar, and I yes. assumed it was the bartender. Yes, me too. <laughs> As one That's does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As one does. And I tried to order a drink from it, and it was like it yes. just stares at you with its big eyes, and I still thought it was a playable character. <laughs> I thought it was an NPC. How awkward. Well, this sounds really strange and really interesting. I I think sometimes it's these sorts of games that, I mean, yeah, like it might end up in that sort of banana of discord spot, but like sometimes those are the most interesting, you know, they've got a very unique uh, thing they're going for and it's not for everybody, but like, I know Rob Sherwin and Mike Sousa are both like heavy hitters. They've, they've made some really great games in the past. Um, So yeah, I want to give this a try. I, I think, I think it sounds like it's might be for me, even though that sounds pretty weird. 
Yeah, I think you just need to know more about going in because I had uh, some someone had labeled this as like sci-fi. So I was expecting space and planets and aliens. And I did, that was not the correct label. (laughs) (laughs) Like the pictures you see at the beginning of the game are also like this, this desert landscape with a dog and a parrot. And, and it does pay out a little bit, but it's, it's, if you're looking for like a a hard sci-fi, this is not it despite the art on the cover. I think that's part of the disc, like that weird discrepancy people are seeing. Like the art doesn't line up with the beginning of the game. Mm. Um, So just know that going in. Mm. Shane, I think you played a game that I also played a little bit of, but ended up, (laughs) this is not a reflection on the game. It is a reflection on my, my state as a new parent. I ended up falling asleep before completing it and haven't gone back to it yet. Uh, But you played uh, electric word life and I'm eager to hear more about it because I, uh, I, I've been meaning to go back and finish it, but haven't yet. Uh, Tell me about electric word life. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just start by saying I absolutely loved this one. Um, I, I tend to in the competition, uh, because I, I like to cover a lot of games, uh, I tend to look for things that are, you know, fairly short. And a lot of those are your more choice-based things. So so that is basically the reason I picked this. And on top of that, uh, I was looking for something Halloween-y. And this is a definitively a Halloween story. Uh, the term, the name Electric Word Life, if you don't recognize it, is a Prince lyric. Um from the song Let's Go Crazy. I had to double check that. I was like, I know I've heard this. Okay, I did not mm-hmm. I did not know that. And I was thinking it was a D&D thing. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Let's get crazy. Like Let's power get word kill? Like no. power word kill, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look for the purple banana until they put us in the truck. Let's get yeah. crazy. <laughs> so and I also, I, I, I tried to find out if there was any other writing from this author, Lance Nathan, but I didn't spot anything. I just, I just did a cursory quick glance at uh, IFDB and all that. But uh, uh, the, the, the concept here is, uh, I'll just start with the description. It's 1999 and your roommate has talked to you into hosting a Halloween party. It's pretty much going to be all his friends, but you've invited a few of your own who may or may not make it. Here's hoping for the best. Um, and what I'll, what I'll say about this game is um, so far from the competition this year, this is my favorite writing, just just straight up writing. Um, hmm. the, the, the actual story of it is very uh, is very interesting and it's tough to really get into without spoiling. Um, so I'll, I'll just start by saying like the, the basics, um, you're a, 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 a guy named Perry. Like I said, it's 1999. So it's very retro and it has a lot of nostalgia elements for me there. Um, I was this guy in like the night in 1999, uh, like a, kind of a, a nerdy, uh, well, I wasn't a college student. I was in high school, but, <laughs> uh, but I know this experience, and the experience of kind of throwing a Halloween party, but still having a party in your own space, but still kind of feeling like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of nice. Um, and then uh, he finds his friends who are kind of his kind of theater buddies uh, out sitting on the on the balcony uh, and just kind of talking with them. Um, how, how okay are we with spoilers here? Because I, I don't want to spoil so, this for people, but my my usual approach here and good. Uh, uh, Jason, feel free to follow this. This, if you feel you need to spoil anything at some point, um, we usually we do chapterize these episodes. So, in case for some reason you haven't listened to our previous coverage or something like this or missed it, uh, we we put in chapter markers on on all of the game portions on this. So, if you uh, if if we're going to start talking spoilers, we'll just say so. And at that point, if folks don't want to be spoiled on the remainder of the details about Electric Word Life, for example, just use the chapter skip feature on your podcast player and skip to the next chapter. Okay. Uh, so I will I will get into a little bit of spoilers then. Um, and, but so the the concept here is you're throwing this Halloween party. Um, you are spending time with your friends. And by the way, the friendship aspect of this is really that's probably the thing that I think is uh, the best written. Um, it uses that aspect of of some of these um, twine based games where you have those like little clickable pieces of the paragraph that like unfold into little mini scenes, you know, where, where you have a, Mm, uh, you don't know as you're navigating around through, you know, clicking whether something's going to take you to a different place or if it's just going to be a reminiscence or if it's just going to be 
you know, a joke. Um, but you know, it's, it's that, uh, lots of hyperlink hyperlinks within the text that do various different things. Um, it does commit some of that, um, sin of, uh, interactive hypertext based fiction of, uh, having some timed text. Uh, there is one particular t- piece of timed text, which is the revelation that I, I was going to, uh, save till after the spoiler break, but now I will, I will save here. Um, so your friend Andy has been late. Uh, to or Perry's friend Andy has been late to the party, uh, and when he arrives, um, you reach out and your hand goes through Andy, and you realize Andy is a ghost and that he has uh, died on the way to the party in a car crash, um, oh. and the uh, the kind of uh, frantic discussion uh, between you and Andy that that ensues where he. Andy basically just wants to, you know, Andy's a ghost um, and it doesn't really make sense. uh, But uh, Andy wants to, at the very least, experience one last night with his friends. uh, And and that's the kind of start of the story. So it's very sweet. Uh, I won't kind of spoil any more of it. um, But I I really enjoyed the writing of it. I I think uh, it's not it's always nice to have like a nice Halloween game to go to. Um, since the comp is at this time of year. Uh, and I, I wish I had covered it in one of the previous episodes because I could have recommended it as a Halloween experience for people. But now here it is November. So uh, there you go. Yeah, is it just ghost tinged or is it actually spooky, scary at all? It's not scary. And in fact, I, it's there is some, there is like, obviously there's death. Um, the content warning listed here says death slash grieving, but no gore or violence. This is not that kind of Halloween story, uh, which is entirely true. So, um, I think it's autumnal. Yes. Uh, it is, it is, it, I, I think it's absolutely lovely. Um, it rises above where I think a lot of your choice based fiction hits in the contest. It's so far, like I said, uh, my favorite piece of just plain writing in the comp. Yeah, I can't wait to to try and finish this. I, I, one of the one of the great frustrations of uh, using we talk about this every year because it just always comes up. One of the frustrations of using an iPad to play these sorts of games, uh, which is my preferred way to do it because I can sit on the couch and relax and do it. Uh, but one frustration is that if you happen to fall asleep halfway through, you have to start it over because, of course, it will refresh your page or something like that. So, um, but I'm looking forward to taking the time to uh, to to go back into that because I was really enjoying the writing right up until the point where I lost consciousness. <laughs> so Jason, I, I think you and I both played Entangled. Uh, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so Entangled is is a time travel game set in a sort of very social realist kind of realistic setting in, in like a small American town. I think uh, one of the reviewers described it as being a Rust Belt town. Yeah. It's certainly like a, a town in a place where it's it's not a it's not a place where there's great economic boom. You know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a rundown place, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it sort of starts off in a in a, in a trailer part with with the, the, the player character being looking for a, a a guy called Sam, and then it goes off in a in a weird direction uh, from there. Um, yeah, very interesting interesting game. Um, yeah, what did you think to it? There's a lot I liked about it, and there's I definitely had a few issues with it in in practice. One of the things that's really interesting about this game is that it's uh, so the, the setup is that you, through a sort of apparently accident, get sort of catapulted back to the 1980s when the town wasn't quite so run down. Um, and that happens fairly early in the game, but it gives you an opportunity to explore the town a little bit before, in fact, kind of requires you to explore the town a little bit before that happens. So you start at one end of town, you kind of walk across town, interacting with a number of characters. There's a small puzzle you have to solve in order to kind of get the whole way across town. And doing that puzzle requires you to at least do a little bit of exploration, meet a few of the colorful characters that are there. For example, there's there's a, you know, a, a UFO believer guy. There is the the um, lady who tells fortunes. There's bartenders. There's a guy who uh, runs a tattoo parlor, etc. Um, and all of these characters have a little bit of something to them. Um, you then kind of make your way to sort of finding the friend that you are trying to go find at the beginning of the game and get booted back in time to the 1980s. And 
your first kind of task is to figure out why I'm, what am I doing in the 1980s? How did I get here? And uh, then you find a time machine that you need to repair in order to get back to your own time. And so the majority of the game is about sort of finding the objects or items you need to fix the time machine in order to get back to your own time. Um, Overall, the big structure of it though, is that like actions you take in the 1980s could potentially have, uh, effects on the sort of ultimate fate of the town in the 2020s back to the future yeah i i the problem, one of the problems i had with it was that it wasn't really clear when at what point i'd gone back to the 1980s i only sort of <laughs> yeah became a, yeah i had that same was, problem was, a little bit yeah it's very strange it's like uh the so you, it happens a bit all of a sudden you get kind of like you get kind of uh thrown off your feet and suddenly the the bowling alley you're in looks a little different but um so first of all, did you did you find the notes? There's a, a bit at the very beginning of the game when the when there's a scientist that rushes past you and drops some of his notes on the ground, and they're missable. That's right. Yeah. Yes. They. they I think so. Yeah. I, I found them both times I played it. Uh, but the second, yeah, the second time I tried to run after the scientist and give them back to him, but that, that's not possible to do. Uh, but you can't read the notes, I think, until after you've gone back into the past from what I... Yeah. yeah, and that was what really threw me off because the notes are what give you an idea of like... So I, I knew kind of going into it that this was a time travel game, but the game doesn't really tip its hand that you've traveled in time unless you go back in time and then try to read the notes. But I didn't... Uh, or you find the time machine. But even if you find the time machine, it doesn't just say, hey, I found a time machine. You have to read the notes in order to know what you're looking at. And mm. um, I... Uh, I didn't re- reread the notes because the first time you look at the notes when you're in the present, it just says like you can't read these. They're full of scientific jargon and you don't understand them. Yes. Um, but then when you go back in time, suddenly you can understand the notes, which I found to be a pretty pretty big issue for me because while I knew that I was playing a time travel game, I kept waiting for the game to have its big reveal of like, I'm in the past. Wow. Yes. Right? And that never happens uh, unless you read the notes. And I didn't. Hmm. Um, which is weird. I did read the notes. Yeah. I did read the notes, but I still didn't get that moment of, wow, I'm in the past. I, I noticed the first thing I noticed was that the diner wasn't there. And I was sort of like, oh, okay, something's changed. But it wasn't a really, you know, it wasn't, I guess, uh, you don't have that sort of obvious visual element like you have in Back to the Future right. where you can see that everything's changed. So reading the descriptions, again, uh, I don't think it was apparent enough that things had had changed, and I wonder if there's a way of, yeah. of signaling that that would have been a bit clearer. It's weird. There were definitely things there, but it's like it's funny how like this. Maybe I wonder if the fact that you're in a kind of like rundown Rust Belt town kind of masks this a little bit. So, for example, you walk into the the um, the the uh, the bowling alley, and suddenly you know you're you're thrown off your feet, and at that point you're in the past, and you look around. And the bowling alley, what it says is like the bowling alley looks cleaner than you expected. And there's an asteroids machine. And I'm like, an asteroids machine could be in a Rust Belt town bowling alley today. Like that's not going <laughs> to, that's, that's not going to be like a big, you know, like those are still around guys. Um, and I, I mean, and if I, if saw I went one, to a would, bowling alley and there wasn't an asteroids machine, I, I'd say, hey, guys, why don't you get some good games up in here? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, if there was an Asteroids machine, I'd be like, let me go play that. That's exciting. Plus, there's, <laughs> but, a, there's a trend for having these old old machines back in, in uh, exactly. bowling alleys and places now. Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. 80s tech is all over <laughs> the game yeah. I just played, too. Yeah. Like, there's definitely so like there's definitely some issues like that with it like structure wise um i i feel like that could be an easy fix uh, i i a bit felt like i just like missed something and it wasn't even that like mm. i was confused like i understood that this was a time travel story i think based on the description i forget i, I forget where i heard that it was a time travel it, story it, it, it's in it's in the blurb I think, yeah, yeah yeah so i think i kind of knew that it just sort of felt like I was waiting for a shoe to drop because the game didn't tip its hand. Mm. Like I was expecting the sort of big time travel story moment. Right. And that didn't quite happen. Mm. Um, and you don't get a lot of like, I don't know, um, inner monologue from the main character or anything like that, where they're thinking about, Hey, this is weird or something like that. Um, there are some things I, I really did like about it. I, I loved the, um, so First of all, I thought a lot of the characters were pretty fun and interesting. Uh, the dialogue trees with them were a little shallower than I would have liked, but some of them had some interesting stuff to say. And I'm pretty sure there were some hidden secrets that I missed in terms of talking to the characters. The game puts a lot of focus on interacting with the characters. And m- most of the kind of like, you know, if you want to change the future, quote unquote, then um, 
most of that happens via interacting with the characters and changing their perspective on their town. Um, mm. And yeah, it even gives you a score at the end of, in terms of how much you've interacted. Yeah, with the yeah, and the score I got a I got a kind of a pretty middling, you know, mediocre score. The other thing that it gives you at the end, though, that I thought was really nice and kind of clever was it doesn't just give you a, a, a um, like a score; it gives you a kind of a um, like American Graffiti, where are they now? Kind of like credits roll. Uh, Nick the mm. bartender went on to do X and Y, and Jerry the gas station attendant went on to do mm. such and such, and it tells you each of those characters that you've interacted with, like how their story has changed because of your very brief interaction with them in the eighties going into the modern day again. Um, so I, I like that idea quite a lot and it kind of would lend itself to additional playthroughs, I think, because, you know, it, it, it really hints to you that like each of these characters has a story and each of them mm. has the potential for you to have an impact on them that changes their perspective on the town and then ultimately changes the town. Um, it just, I don't know, playing through it just the one time, um, my main focus was just on like, okay, how do I mechanically, like, how do I fix the time machine? And it wasn't so yeah. much on, on like, how do I get the gas station attendant not to move away or something like that? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I, I think this would have been probably stronger in an additional, in like in a second playthrough. You said you had played through it more than once. Did you find anything like that? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I did go and interact with some of the characters I hadn't really bothered to interact with again um, but I still wasn't sure really what you know uh, so one thing I found slightly, slightly confusing was that there are characters in there that you, that you can interact with like the barman and the uh, and the tattoo artist I didn't have any money so I wondered if, you know, what happens if I get a tattoo well I can't yeah so I could like, I found one dollar there's a there's a bit where you see a, a dollar bill yes. blowing around and you can chase it down and so I found one dollar <laughs> and that was that was like it for me I could only use that I, I forget what puzzle that came into but you definitely can't like sit down mm. and get a tattoo or buy art from the no. art gallery or anything like that so yeah, kind of weird, but uh, I did find ways to like interact with the characters that would you know, some stuff plays into the the main thrust of like getting parts to fix the the time machine and other stuff doesn't. You know, you you can mm. find the um the scarf that's like a sentimental object for the fortune teller lady or other stuff like that. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that little uh, that little storyline. I like that too. Yeah, and I, it it mm. didn't it was a little adventure gamey in that like okay, I need to get her scarf. Somebody's sitting on it in the park, but he won't get up unless I give him a bottle of booze. <laughs> or something like that um so like it was a little adventure gamey but it 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 still felt nice to like bring a sentimental object to someone and then to see that their life had changed in some small way afterwards because of that i liked that a lot um and that's the Mm. kind of stuff i would like to see more of in this game and part of that is probably that i didn't get to see stuff that was already in the game and other stuff might be like maybe this is you know needs to be beefed up a little bit but like this idea of like Mm. these more i don't know sentimental interactions with people in the past that kind of changed. I, I would have liked to do more of that, both, both in terms of like, I should have probably spent more time trying to do that stuff uh, as the optional side stuff. And also like, it would be nice to see more of it, maybe make it more like more of that on the main path, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah, but overall, I think it's a pretty, pretty solid little game. And um, I love a time travel story. You know, anytime I see a time yeah. travel story on on a page like this, I'm definitely going to click on it. So um, I'm glad I spent some time yeah. with it. Oh, yeah, me too. It took me about two hours to complete, I think. Yeah. How long did it, took, it take you? It took, took me about an hour, I think. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, it was very well, very very um very tightly implemented you know no no i couldn't find mm. any errors or anything and you know, any no obvious bugs nothing nothing at all like that uh so uh i think it was the, the author's second game or first game or second game but yeah very very nicely very slick yeah absolutely and that uh so that's entangled by dark star uh definitely recommend checking it out uh the uh the description calls it a slice of life two hours parser game. And I like that description slice of life, although it is, uh, you know, when I think slice of life, uh, I, I, I kind of envision more sort of cozy rather than like slice of, I think you're calling it like uh, social realism or something like that is very, is very appropriate because it does sort of feel like it's about the destruction of the American factory town. It's a more slice of life, like Clifford Odets. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> something like that. But, uh, yeah. but definitely, uh, definitely a cool game. And, uh, if you like time travel stories, this in particular is, is worth, uh, worth checking out. So, um, that's, uh, uh, entangled by dark star. 
Next on our list was The Turnip. And Laura, I think you and Jason both played this one a bit. Yeah. So Turnip is uh, one of the shortest games in the comp, I think. Uh, it's uh, by Joseph Pintangelo. Sorry again if we mangle everybody's name. They're just written, so we guess at pronunciation. Um, it's a surrealist-tinged twine game. So uh, I'll read the opening sentence. While you button your shirt, your dog rummages around in the cabinets and settles on a deer haunch. This one is ripened to the perfect midpoint between fresh and rotting. He wolfs it down, hair and gristle and fat and bone. This is very emblematic of the tone of the story. It's kind of this, like, again, it's so short that it's going to, I can't actually talk about what happens because it's going to spoil it, but it's this story about being a worker you go about your day and you have your dog and you go to work and you find a turnip and you can't stop staring at it. <laughs> and there's something off about it. And every time you click on a link in this game, there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to see something that's just a straightforward description of an object or something weird or a third thing is like an extremely elaborate backstory for a side character, and you have no <laughs> idea what's behind that link. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a short story concept, so it's really linear. But really, the interactivity is looking at things, deciding how invested you're going to get in this turnip you've decided to take home for the day, and you're getting kind of obsessed with. It, it, to me, it's got that. Um, again, it's that kind of. Subtly creepy. Like, there's no creepiness really happening. Like, it's not like the turnip is going to bite you. It's just slightly odd, isn't it? Just like, just, just something slightly off kilter about it. Uh, yeah. the, the, the author actually wrote, uh, has put two games into this comp. Uh, the mm-hmm. other one was the pi- the pine cone, and they're mm-hmm. both very, very short. And normally oh, on oh, the, the pine cone, that's stuff- the, the one with the goat. Oh, that was. That's the that right. was That's yeah. the same author. Ooh, okay, okay. I, I think I'm onto your tone here then. <laughs> yeah, so 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 I think so what what's happened is that he's adapted short stories he's written into and made them interactive. And mm-hmm. I think the pinecone is is more interactive than the turnip. Um it the turnip the, the pinecone I think has several different endings and the turnip whether the turnip is more much more linear. I don't know which one he did first. Um and normally on on the IF forum and stuff I'm always always going on about how I am, you know, things need to be interactive, things need to have you know, I I'm very much in favor of branching narrative and, and stuff. But I think because these are so short, I don't really have a problem with them being linear. Same here. Um yeah. I just enjoyed the the experience, uh, you know, brief as it was. Well, and uh yeah. the interaction looks it uh, feels like obsession because a lot of the interaction mm. is looking at things more closely or staring at your turnip. And, <laughs> and yes, the fact that you can click on the word turnip and get like another yes. description of the same thing you've just been carrying around the game, yes. and it's a yes. slightly different description, and you're like, it, it feels like the interaction is getting more obsessed, um, mm. even though it's completely linear. Um, it, it just feels like you're opting into the. I don't even want to say madness. Like Cthulhu does not emerge at the end of this game. It's not that kind of game, but it feels like the no. kind of one where you don't know yeah. if it will. <laughs> it's, it's, they're not. They're not. They're not in any way kind of wacky. They're. They're. they're, right. they're, they're just. They're just the humorous. There might be a little bit of uh, a Donald Barthelme, mm. the the, the yeah. writer. Um, yeah. Uh, that that kind of that kind of slightly off. Slightly odd tone. I was feeling like them. a less folky over the garden wall feel too for people mm. who are animation fans, just because it's got that like uh, the twinge of something off. Um, mm. It's a little off kilter. And I will say one thing the ending of this game feels like there should be multiple endings, but there's not. Mm. Okay. Mm. There's only one ending to this one. It, it does feel like you might have done something to cause the ending. It's got a really like strong feel that you've chosen somehow something that caused the ending. Yes. Um, and you feel like you might be able to play it again and cause something else to happen, but that is not the case. Just, I don't know if that, con- I don't think that constitutes a spoiler. I just don't want people to feel like they have to replay it to get a different ending. Um, but I, I do think like the tone of this is very deliberate. Hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. This is definitely mm. a short story that was written and 
the word choice is very exact. And I think it's since it's so short, um, it, it feels like a very complete experience for something that's like, what, five, six minutes tops. It's extremely short. Mm. Well, that's really cool. And I'm I'm always interested, you know, when you see somebody enter multiple games in the comp, like they, they tend to be these sort of very short uh, experiences, but like I don't know, I, I I'm I'm always sort of interested to play multiple games by the same person and get that sort of different perspectives. Like what what made them choose that they they had you know had to enter two this year that sort of thing. Yeah, this is the type of game that I have a really hard trouble rating in I have comp mm. because it's not um, like the scale is small and tight and the writing is deliberate and it's straightforward. So there's all these complicating factors. Yeah. Like, like how does a game that's like really, really a shined, but incredibly tiny thing versus something that's like maybe a little less polished or, or but brilliant, like, but like significantly larger and more complicated and, and more like more of an achievement. A 15 minute game that has everything perfect and is very interactive. I'll be like, yeah, I'll give us a 10, but if it's linear and it's short, like, I don't know, it, it just becomes tough to grade. This is one of the ones that I'm going to like, think about more and like percolate on what I want to rate it at the end of the comp. It's, it's definitely one of the ones that I, I, I tend to grade some comp entries against each other. So I feel like this is going to be one of the ones that I'm constantly moving up and down my mm, ranking mm-hmm, as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to see what the author does next, because I think uh, having, having now sort of gone down this route and, and I th- whether he can embrace the interactivity more and give us something a bit, a bit more, bit more heft um yeah I, I was looking forward to see what he what he comes up with because his ear seems really good and yeah, his rhythm yeah. is great and i think he has yeah. a good sense of pacing i just want more interactivity yeah and I, I love that sort of surreality too like that's the sort of thing that works really well in if you know creating this surreal world that has some level of internal consistency and and then letting you play in that world with some interactivity i love that kind of thing so i'd love to see more from this this guy um Shane, i think the last game on our list for today is one that you played yes it's uh vain empires yeah, Vain Empires is a collaboration between uh actually the the this author already came up in our discussion because we mentioned the Owl Consults. Mm. Uh it's Thomas Mack oh, who's the creator oh, of that okay. game. Um yeah, so the Owl Consults was uh, a really fun concept. It is a uh former supervillain kind of consulting with supervillain and uh, supervillains over the phone. Um and I can't remember, I think it was like a year or two ago. Uh and and this this is an interest, also a similarly interesting um, concept. Uh, the, but the person that Thomas Mack is uh, collaborating with here, I probably am mispronouncing this made-up name, Zavid, X-A-V-I-D. Oh, okay. Uh, I played other games that, from them, yeah. Yeah. In fact, Zavid also has another game in the comp this year, uh, Seasonal Apocalypse Disorder, I think is the name of it. So first off, I, I want to just say about the implementation of this game, which is it's parser based and it is top notch. Um, I, I am, um, you know, as although I am a lifelong lover of interactive fiction and parser based games, I do frequently find myself um, having to draw a map. Uh, so I always very much appreciate when a game incorporates a visual map and this one does. So it has a, one of the kind of better implementations of a visual map that I've seen before. Um, and on top of that, it also provides a, a kind of a more labeled map as a download. So first off a plus for accessibility. And on top of that, they've implemented excellent Invisiclues style hints mm-hmm. uh, and so on. So it's a, I think it's a very, very accessible game uh, with a bit of light puzzle and light comedy and uh, as is always fun, espionage. So uh, the the concept for the game is you are a demon um, and you are also a spy um, and you are infiltrating a casino uh, to retrieve various different, um, I can't remember the term they use, these various, like, you know, there's some MacGuffins that you have to get, um, codexes with, like, codes in them or something like that. Um, and the the fun thing about it is and i always enjoy when a piece of if gives you like interesting limitations on the ways that you can kind of interact with the world around you and in this one uh the the limitation is you can't really touch anything because you are an incorporeal being um but you can look at people um and take intents out of their heads and put them into the heads of other people. Huh. 
Um, and so all of the puzzle is really kind of is just a lock and key style kind of puzzle um, where you're you're kind of walking around and finding out who has what intents and then trying to figure out where they go. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people in this casino. Um, and I think that puzzle aspect is quite well designed because the one the, the intents that don't really do anything fail, obviously, and quickly. And the other intents and some of the intents are very, very useful and are like clearly used over and over again for puzzle purposes, like, uh, you know, the ones that will get people to like look around or explore or uh, pick up things or, um, you know, play table games with each other or things like that. And uh, so I I think, you know, to get I I don't want to get too much into any of the like individual puzzles, although the puzzles were good. uh, And I had I I liked the I like the way they were implemented. And it's kind of a, a fun verb set to be able to uh, it kind of feels like an interesting twist on parsers where you're you're almost collecting the verbs as you go like um out of people's heads and then using them in other people's heads Hmm. Uh, and and then i also just sort of liked some of the some of the humorous writing around it because you are this sort of weird incorporeal demon and i i saved a little clipping of the writing here because at first, it starts to feel like it's playing out like a very straightforward puzzle game, like, you know, but instead of get lamp, it's, you know, uh, get play from head of bouncer or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, the 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 it starts to kind of make take pains to explain to you that uh, for you, the dummy human, uh, it is trying to dumb down uh, what's actually happening here. So there's a. There's a bit here that says, it occurs to me I should clarify what I'm glossing as moving from place to place is actually a complicated warping of my spiritual probability field uh, to move the mean of the distribution to another point in space while preserving the decay rate of the tails. I'm told that humans use muscles and tendons for their locomotion, and I suppose that works too. Most of my experience, however, is completely alien to humans' frame of reference, and I'm trying to meet you halfway. (laughs) If I mention, say, that I have a headache, I don't mean to imply that I have a literal head that literally hurts. I'm referring to some part of my non-human, non-physical, (laughs) non-anatomy that would make absolutely no sense to you. So I've put it in terms of the closest human equivalent. Similarly, I can't pick up or even hold uh, a spiritual object such as an intention. I don't have hands, or despite the unflattering paintings you may have seen, horns and a tail. Uh, instead, I keep something like that near to see, keep something like that nearby. I'm doing something impossibly complex that nevertheless has the same effect as you're holding a teacup with your grubby meaty human hands <laughs> to avoid confusion. I'm just going to describe myself as say holding the communique and I'll leave it to you to wonder about how a spiritual being such as myself navigates the physical realm. That having been said, I do wonder how you manage with only five basic senses and not particularly well-developed ones at that. Birds can see more colors than you, and they even get to fly. I don't think humans are very good at flying, although I have confirmed they are great at falling, uh, which strikes (laughs) me as a major design flaw. If you're stuck in only three spatial dimensions, you might as well get the most out of them. (laughs) So That's great. I love that. So it it has this sort of kind of interesting and I'll, I'll i rarely kind of call this element of games out but it has a absolutely lovely piece of album art uh in the comp which features a uh angel riding a, a gigantic bomb down onto the the surface of the earth it's a great little piece of art so i enjoyed this one a, a good deal i think it's very if you're f- looking for something that's a little bit of a twist on more or less traditional structures or if you are trying to introduce someone to parser if i think this is also a good use of that uh, of that kind of time nice definitely one that i would i'm, I'm high, high on my list for, to play next yeah, absolutely so i'm really glad we got a chance to talk about all of these games I'm really enjoying this comp this year and um I, I know we've talked about a lot of other games in our previous coverage we've got a lot of more games coming up um jason because you've you've got to leave us we can't have you for next episode i guess uh if you wondered if you might have any games that you want to particularly call out that we haven't talked about today from the comp that you think are worth checking out, uh, either ones that we've already covered or haven't gotten to yet and should. Well, I'd like to give a shout out to the the three games that I beta tested, 
uh, one of which is the, the Magpie Takes a Train, which you've already yes. covered. Um, the other one is Stuff of Legend Ooh. by Lance Campbell, which is a very fun little uh, parser game, a comedy parser game about uh, about a uh, he's a village idiot who decides to become a knight. Ooh. Yes, that's a really fun one. Uh, and another one I beta tested was uh, the Cursed Pickle of Shireton, which is mm. uh, which is a sort of parody of a of an RPG from the from the nineties. I think is <laughs> the premise of that one. I had that one on my uh, short list, and I I think that's going to be one that I will probably benefit from more people playing it since I have played games by that author before, but I'm not as well versed in that era of RPGs as some of my other podcast co-hosts. <laughs> All right, I'll make a point of getting giving that one a shot before we uh, before we reconvene. So, uh, Jason, thank you again so much for coming on the show. It was is a real pleasure having you, and uh, you know, uh, feel free to hope to have you back again soon. That's lovely. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, thanks. Um, and uh, so, listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Short Game. This show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. So if you want to support the show, uh, you can head to patreon.com slash the short game. And uh, every supporter we have on Patreon at even a dollar a month or more uh, gets immediate access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the games that we are playing. Uh, the conversations that happen there become the conversations that happen on this show. So if you want to talk to us, suggest IF Comp games, talk to us about interactive fiction, or talk to us about anything else game related or really whatever else is going on with you, uh, then join us there. We'd be happy to to have you. Um, you can also find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. That's where you'll find our contact form if you want to send us an email. Uh, we've got a, a searchable show notes page there where you can search back through everything we've ever covered in the five plus years we've been a podcast. And uh, you can also find our show on Twitter at underscore short game where we tweet about the stuff that we're playing. We also are all on Twitter individually. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you you can find me at lauren j nash shane where can people find you also on twitter at 8bit shane and jason where can people find you and all your work um well you can either look on the uh, ifdb and look up my name jj guest or you can go to jjguest.blogspot.com and you'll find links to to all of my games on there thank you and i definitely recommend people do that and especially uh 2018 winner alias the magpie which is just a real high watermark for the comps so uh definitely recommend people check that out if you didn't play in 2018 um and listeners once again thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game